Let's open our Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. You go shopping before Christmas time and you maybe you walk into a mall or a store or something and you think that it's madness, right? Or you you get out there and people drop Well, you want to see madness? You ain't seen nothing yet until you read until you read this. Listen up now, ready? Verse 21 of Acts chapter 19. Listen to this. Well, let's pray and then I'll read. Now Our most holy Lord God, we bow before you and we have this priceless, invaluable treasure known as the Bible to read. My prayer, Lord God, is that everyone in the sound of my voice, starting with myself, would firmly believe the words of Scripture, learn them, believe them, put the principles into practice, and share the truth with others. This world needs your word. We need your word. Thank you for it. Please forgive me and forgive us if we've ever been lazy with your word or half-hearted about your word or doubtful concerning your word or just trying to like mix it with other things or trying to make excuses for it. or Your word is true, and that's the end of it. And I pray, Lord God, that now as we read and study your word and read this passage, whether we would see the importance, Lord God, of, of your word and know what it is to have the word in our own lives and be reminded of the, the terror, terrible thing that it is to be apart from the knowledge of your word. I ask it, Lord, for your glory, giving you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we go. So we're still in Ephesus. And, you know, the first half of the chapter described Paul's ministry there. But now in the second half of the chapter, it zeroes in on one particular event that occurred. You can actually, as a tourist, go right to the spot where this event occurred today. You can go home and look up the. Uh, and you can go up and go home and look up the theater in Ephesus, and you can see its ruins. It's still there. You can see the spot where all this was going on. It's amazing. Listen to this. When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, or or Artemis, 
uh, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul is persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. There, there, there is a, a, a thing in, in Ephesus that many archaeologists believe is the, the pedestal for that statue, by the way. You can see that too. I, I don't know if they're 100% sure about it. but Now, when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. And most of them did not know why they had come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one accord cried out for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? This great statue, that, that's what they believe, that this great statue actually came down from heaven, that Zeus, their main god, had like sent it down. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. The courts are open. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we're in danger of being called into question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. It almost, it almost sounds like something that could have been ripped out of a, uh, like, a uh, like a CNN or Fox News broadcast, right? Another protest, another march, Another rally, another riot, you know, smashing things, burning things, screaming. People were chanting for two hours. A lot of the people didn't even know why they were there. Madness. 
madness. I could say one thing and we could just close our Bibles and go home. I'm not going to do that, so don't, don't, don't. But, but, but my one thing that I would say is this is the world without the word of God. This is the world without the truth of God's word, which he has revealed. Now, you should take just that one saying for yourself. And and it ought to make you thankful that by God's grace and only by God's grace, you have been rescued from the innumerable masses and multitudes of the ignorant and the unbelieving. That's by his grace. That's not because I'm better than those people. That's not because we're better than them. It's not because when you see all the madness that goes on society today, it's not because we're better than them. We're not. But for the grace of God, you can get swept up into things. You know? The world is very good at just sweeping people up into things. You know? I mean, how, how, how do you think Hitler happens? People just get swept up, right? It says there were people there doing this who had no idea why they were even there, but they were there. How does it happen? Well, it happens because people don't know God. People don't know the word of God. They don't believe it. They don't read it. They don't care about it. They believe all kinds of lies concerning it. And they dismiss their Bibles. Christians. Christians in the modern world. I think have grown weak concerning their Bibles. I was listening to a discussion between John MacArthur and the late R.C. Sproul, both men whose ministries you should be familiar with. If you're you're not, you ought to familiarize yourself. But there was a panel discussion and the moderator asked Pastor MacArthur and I don't think R.C. Sproul, Sproul was addressed as Pastor Sproul. I think he, I think he was just Brother R.C. But um, they asked him, what is missing in like American churches? And, and without hesitation, R.C. Sproul said, and John MacArthur enthusiastically affirmed, what's missing is careful exposition of the word of God. And what's missing among Christians is a faithful commitment to the word of God. I would extend that by saying what's lacking in this world is a preaching and distributing of the word of God. You can go to churches and hear all sorts of things being talked about, but And you can see the masses of people who come to some of them. But you won't hear like a careful verse-by-verse reading of a passage of Scripture and then a 
and then an explanation of a passage of scripture, kind of digging into some of the, the finer points of things. What's needed, starting with the church and starting with American Christians, is a recommitment to the Bible. Indeed. A recommitment to read the Bible. A recommitment to gather together in church and hold up and carefully listen to studying the Bible. A recommitment to believe the Bible. And not when there are hard passages that seem to conflict with certain things in the world, like, like evolutionary theory, for example. Like, like, we're so afraid of like looking dumb or something in front of so-called scientific evolutionists that we want to make all sorts of new theories and all sorts of new reasons why the Bible doesn't mean what it's like. No, what Christians need to do is Christians need to read, study, participate in the study of, and believe the Word of God. Affirm the Word of God. Commit to being obedient to the Word of God. And preach and spread the word of God. And if people don't like us, so what? Do you see this crowd that we're reading about here in Ephesus? Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Her statue came down from heaven. Great is... For two hours. What do we care if they don't think much of us? Why are we worried about that? We don't need those people to like us. We need to reach those people with the truth of the word and rescue them from the fires of hell that they're headed for. That starts with Christians being committed to the word of God. I think the Apostle Paul was committed to the word of God. I think Timothy and Erastus were committed to the word of God. I think Titus and and uh, Silas, and Barnabas, and I think Peter, and Apollos, and this whole gang that we read about, I think they were, first of all, committed to the Word of God. Committed to the truth of God. You know, Paul writes all these letters and preaches all these sermons you read about in the book of Acts, and every one of them he's like referring to Old Testament Scripture. He can't get away from it. Everything is the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. And that's how it's, all, that's how it's supposed to be with Christians. The reason you have madness like what I just read about. The reason like you have madness because of all of the things that you see in the news. and you read, Now what? Now what did somebody do? I mean, someone drives their car through a, through, a, through a pile of people. Someone takes a gun into a school and starts to... Madness! Why do you have it? Because nobody cares about the divine... God breathed scripture that God deposited in this world through faithful servants of his, led by the Holy Spirit as they wrote, so that Christians could read, study, learn, believe, obey, and preach to others. That's why there's this. 
I want to look at a few of the, like I said, we could just pack, you know, if, if I knew that everyone would just give me a great big amen and, uh, and, and then go home and start for themselves, I'm going to read it, I'm going to study it. When my church assembles to read it and study it, and everything I can do, I'm going to be there. I don't care about the legalistic stuff. People get the whole wrong idea. We don't have church Bible studies and meetings and everything like that because we really think people need to go to church a lot. I don't care about that. We need God's Word. Christians need God's Word. That's one of the ways we get it. But if I knew that everyone was just like, yeah, you know what? Yep, this is what we need to do. Let's start now. I I could could close it up when you go home and get started. Go read the book. Get into it. Get into God's Word. Learn to love God's Word. But let's take a little bit of time and just look at a little of the, a few of the details in this passage, all right? I actually picked out three things, just three, as I go through the text. Three things that I want to point out to you that are things, things that this world love, things that this world love that choke off their capacity even to have any interest in God's word. And things also, the very same things, can infect the hearts and minds of Christians, which is not what this passage is about, but I think as Christians we ought to look at it and make the observation at least, that these things, if they infect us, then we lose our appetite. I mean, we should be hungry and thirsty for God's word all the time. Not because it's interesting. Because may I say something? A huge chunk of the Bible is not interesting. Did you notice that? I mean, mean, a lot of things in the Bible are not like, you know, you're reading the latest whatever novel or watching the most popular movie or the greatest television show. A lot of the Bible, it's hard to keep your eyes open when you're reading it. Because God didn't write it for our entertainment or our amusement. He made it hard because the truths in it so conflict with what's comfortable for us. And so he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him, which which includes taking the time to dig into the things about it that are hard. I know you don't like to read about waving this and sprinkling the blood here and putting the blood on the horns of the altar and this and do this with the garments and pour the water here and pour the oil there as you read through all those books. The old, I know you don't like to read this begot this and this one begot that one and this one begot that. We know we don't like to read those things. But you know what? After you read and you learn those things, you know what you realize? You start to learn things like, you know, those, those sacrifices in the Old Testament. It was like, boy, it seems like there was blood everywhere all the time. Because they're always making sacrifice. And then Jesus comes and done. It is finished. And you realize that and it, it just it just deepens your faith because you've taken the time to study Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy. And you know that, wow, boy. God was really repulsed by sin that he gave them such a, a graphic and thorough and detailed code of how to deal with sin and it never actually took their sins away. And then Jesus came and shed his blood and died once to seal really what that was all foretelling. And if you take the time to read and study, 
it knocks you off your feet, man, when you, when you realize the connections. And you know, you read the genealogies and stuff and you start in the Gospel of Matthew and you see how it takes you from, it, it takes you from uh, Abraham and it takes you through David and, and it comes down to Matthew. It's like, so-and-so begot so-and-so. So-and-so. But then you realize as you read through it, oh yeah, he's the, he's the promised one, the promised seed of Abraham. He's the son of David. And you realize that's what the genealogies are doing. They're showing you how he's descended from Abraham and how he's descended from David. And it's intended to like just cement the whole thing together as one. Because the Bible is like this book that was, it was written like, like, like progressively, if you will, right? Like, like Moses gets the books of the law and then time goes by and a prophet is given something to write. David comes along and writes. Solomon comes along and writes. You get all the, you know, all the stuff. And then the new covenant, Jesus is on the earth and after he dies and goes, uh, back to heaven, then the apostles write the gospels, and the apostle Paul writes all of his letters, and and the gospel of John is given. Uh, 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 the apostle John's given the book of Revelation. Luke is writing down the book of Acts that we're reading right now. And you realize all these different guys over this all long period of time are being given, given all these things to write, and yet when we sit and we read it, it reads like it's one book that somebody sat down and wrote all at once. Why? Because that's the way that God gave it out. And all of these things that if you take the time and, and put in the time and carefully study and learn, it blows you away and it, it digs your faith deep roots in the ground. So that when trouble comes, so that when there's a riot in your town, you're like the Apostle Paul and you're like, let me at them, let me in there, I want to talk to them. Instead of just going and hiding in your house. Because that's what Paul did in this passage, right? He's like, let me go talk to them. And they're like, no, Paul, no, they'll tear you up. I want to go talk to them. No, well, you know, they prevail. But, but Paul had such confidence and such boldness and such zeal because his mind and his heart were filled up on God's word. All right. But there are a few things that we have to guard against. It's why the world is so insane and it can suck Christians into and I have just three. How am I doing? Well, running my mouth and taking too much time, as always. <laughs> you, don't, you wouldn't have it any other way, right? Say amen. Thank you. <laughs> Liars. No, just kidding. All right. So verse 21, listen. When these things were accomplished, Paul proposed in the Spirit, he wanted to go to Jerusalem, right? And he wanted to go back through Achaia. That's where Corinth was. He wanted to go back through Macedonia. That's where Thessalonica, Philippi, right? So he wanted to go back through those places and he wanted to go to Jerusalem. So he sent Timothy and Erastus ahead of himself and he stayed in Asia for a time. And that's when this event happens, all right? Uh, In the beginning of the next chapter, you'll see the beginning of the journey back through Achaia and Macedonia and on to Jerusalem. And that dominates the rest of the book of Acts. So we'll start that up uh, next week or perhaps after Christmas. We'll see. So verse 23. Now, about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. What's the way? The way is the way that uh, the early first century church referred to the gospel, the church, really. It's interesting that, you know, in our day we kind of call it the church or we call it Christianity, which is, you know, comes out of, in Antioch, they were first called Christians. And so to kind of make that a thing, 
as opposed to people, Christians, to make it a thing we call Christianity, right? But it was called the way back then. And it's interesting that like, we'll sometimes refer to the faith. And that's fine. The Bible refers to the faith as well. But they called it the way, right? Now, obviously, you can see the New King James Version helps us out by making it a capital W. Um, the way is a reference to Jesus saying what? I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father through me. And the Bible speaks of the way of God, the way of Christ, right? And so the early church is called the way because it was devoted to the only way that someone could be redeemed and reconciled to God and it was devoted to learning the way that we ought to live in this life, right? So every Christian is committed, listen, there's a point here. Every Christian is committed to not just learning, here's what I need to do to go to heaven, which is kind of that cheap way that the gospel gets put out now. Hey, you want to go to heaven? Well, of course I do. Pray this prayer, right? But that's not it. The way involves more than that, right? The way teaches us what Jesus did for us and teaches us who Jesus who he is. The way shows me who I am and shows me why I need Jesus, right? So, uh, so when you learn the way, you learn about the way of salvation and then you learn how we ought to worship and how we ought to live and how we ought to walk and how we ought to serve. And the Bible is filled with commands and teaching. The letters of the New Testament are filled with commands and teaching for the spirit-filled, truly regenerated, truly born again, truly believing children of God. The way. That's what the way is. What are you? Are you a person that goes to church, goes to church every now and then, and then just lives your life? Or do you, do you walk on the way? You know? You know, there's a way that leads to destruction and many go there. A lot of religious people go there too. And there's a way that leads to life and only a few find it. It's really narrow. What way are you walking on? I hope you're walking on this one. This, the, 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 the purity of the teaching of the word of God concerning the way in Ephesus and in the surrounding area was so pure and so powerful that in the city a commotion stirred up. Right? I don't, I don't really know how much commotion like our ministry here has caused. It has caused some. I am, I am honored and happy to say I can, go, I can look back in time, times where we've preached the gospel or, or done whatever and we've gotten in trouble for it. Hallelujah. You know? <laughs> we, ought to, we ought to be like so committed to preaching the word in Woodbridge and everywhere else that every now and then it stirs up a commotion, right? But that's what happened here. They were preaching the word of God and people were getting saved and it had stirred up a great commotion. And we're told what the commotion is. It chipped into their idolatry. It chipped into their proud, selfish religion, which accommodated their evil, wicked ways. And it created a commotion. They didn't want preaching that challenged them concerning their sin and showed them that there was only one way to heaven and, it was the, and the only true God was Yahweh, the God of the Jews, the God of the Israelites. And the only way that you could be reconciled to him was through faith in his chosen, his Messiah, his son, Jesus, who died for their sins and rose from the dead. And a lot of people were coming to faith. And we saw in the last passage, in the last previous passage, that they burned 50,000 pieces of silver worth 
of witchcraft books and idolatry books. Pretty big commotion, right? Yeah. So verse 24. For a certain man named Demetrius, he's a silversmith. So you know right there, what's, what's his deal? Well, you know, this god Artemis, alternately known as Diana, um, this goddess uh, means you can make lots of statues and make money. You can make statues. You can make medallions. You can make devices for which you can burn incense and burn candles and you can make all sorts of things. The, wor- the real worship of God involves none of that stuff. The real worship of God, as Jesus says, is in spirit and in truth, not with things made with men's hands. So Demetrius gathers together a collective, the local craftsmen union, you might say. And uh, verse 25, he calls them together. And here you see it. Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Now, may I say to you, for a man or a woman to have their livelihood threatened because of something is a very serious thing. And so, in an earthly sense, you can kind of identify with the personal trouble maybe it caused. But then you immediately cease from that and stop from that because... These guys were making money on perhaps the single most offensive thing to their creator, which was statue making. First commandment, you will have no other gods before me. Second commandment, don't make any graven images. To bow down to them, to worship them, to pray to them, you know kissing them as you walk by, hoping to bring yourself some good fortune or good luck or something. There is a living God, one living God, who is to be sought and worshipped and exalted, and he does not live in those things. These guys made their livelihood doing something that God hated. More important to them than learning what the commotion was about. More important to them than learning why people were taking handkerchiefs from Paul and people were getting healed. More important than learning about Jesus. More important than learning about the danger that their sin put them in and the salvation of God that was available through Jesus was their money. That's number one. Perhaps the number one thing that causes men in this world to be mad is money. Even the world knows it. Even in bad situations, even the world is smart enough to say what? Follow the money. Right? Right? Here's what Paul wrote to Christians. Right? These are, world, these are people that aren't... Paul writes to Christians, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now listen to this. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows, stabbing yourself and making yourself sorrowful because of your headlong, 
unchecked pursuit of riches and money. Now, that was, a, that was something that Paul, the same Paul who's in Ephesus, wrote to Timothy, who was also in Ephesus, by the way. So you can see that the love of money that was in this crowd of madmen who were able to chant for two hours, some of that had crept into the church. Because Timothy, that Paul writes to, is the pastor of the church in that city. Yeah. We have to be careful about that. Even when Jesus taught the parable of the sower, you know, the seed that fell among the thorns, what did he say about that? He who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. That's a reference to a person who's not saved. Right? In the parable of the sower, it's only the, it's only the ones who are the good soil hearers who are actually saved. Because the, the ones who hear it among the weeds, among the thorns, they hear the word, they believe it, right? But they're never fruitful because the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world chokes it off. The word has no place in their hearts. See, we have to be careful, don't we? Because Jesus is teaching us, God is teaching us what the love of money does to a person's heart, spirit, mind. You know what Jesus said to the Laodicean church? I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, what what do they say? I'm rich. I'm wealthy. I have need of nothing. It's a church that he's talking to. The Laodicean church. Can you imagine a Christian saying, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, and I have need of nothing. And Jesus says to this church, you don't know that you're actually wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. One of the things that spawned the madness of the riot in Ephesus was their love of money. We live in a mad culture as well that also loves money. Is money bad? No. Is working hard and having it bad? No. Money can be used for a lot of good. In the very same passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy, he gives instructions for how Christians with money ought to handle it and ought to use it. He doesn't say just just throw it all away and abandon it. No. But he warns them that loving it is like stabbing yourself with sadness. That's how this started. It started with some guys having their love of money threatened. And then what else was threatened? Their religion. Right? Verse 26. Throughout almost all of Asia... Paul is persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling in disrepute, now watch how they try to spiritualize it, right? So not, not only is our business in danger, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia in the world and the world worship, right? So kind of had a little hook to drive everybody mad. The rich people could be driven mad because their trade and their money was threatened. Everybody else could be threatened because 
they're actually preaching and people are turning away from worshiping the idol that they worshiped. Which in ancient history, there is a giant statue of Diana in the middle of Ephesus. And you can see even from this passage that their traditional belief was that their number one god Zeus had sent it down from heaven and deposited it there. And they believed that. And they made a lot of side money making little Dianas. Sorry, Diana, we're using your name a lot today. And, you know, we like our Diana. We don't worship her, though, right? Well, maybe, maybe Steve and Josiah. No, 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 no. They have a little statue of you. We go home and. No, 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 no. no. Let's not go there. Okay. So, so you see, right? Now the religion gets threatened. And uh, I was going to have you turn here, but for time's sake, I won't. But over in Acts chapter 14, do you remember what happened when they were at Lystra? They healed a man. Paul was with Barnabas at the time. And when they went into Lystra, there was a guy who was miraculously healed. And do you remember what the response of the people was? It wasn't to like listen to the gospel or to turn to Jesus. The response of the people was they wanted to take Paul and Barnabas and worship them. They wanted to put crowns on their heads and they called one of them Hermes. They called Paul Hermes because he was the one who did all the speaking. And they called Barnabas Zeus because they thought Zeus had come down from heaven because of this miracle. That's the madness and the blindness of religion. And you still have today in the world people walking around worshiping all sorts of things that never have any power to change the heart, never have any power to have impact on the life. Right? And then there was the third thing that kicks into it all. I know I'm going fast here. Sorry about that. But um, what happens? Verse 28 again. They were full of wrath and cried out. Now, I'm not going to read through the rest of this because you know what happened. They chanted. They cried out. Paul couldn't even go in. They knew they'd tear him up. They sent a Jewish guy named Alexander in to try to share something. They found out he was Jewish. Two solid hours. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And then a city official came in and was able to calm them down. But I want to point to one word. Verse 28. Now, when they had heard this, they were full of what? Wrath. Wrath. That's, that, I, mean, I mean, three things that are clearly at the heart of the madness that was going on was the love of money, the blind devotion to the pagan religion, and wrath. Men, men just love violence. We love violence. You see it on TV all the time. We're entertained by it in cinema, in sport. What did Proverbs say? Don't enter the path of the wicked. Don't walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. For they do not sleep unless they have done evil. And their sleep is taken away from them unless they make someone fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Proverbs tells us don't walk on that path. But that's the path that the world is on. Now, simple point for you in a short message. The world walks on that path and gets sucked into the stuff that you see on the news all the time. We are not to walk on that path. 
We're not to be driven by the love of money. We're not driven by a religion. We know God and have a relationship with Him and love His Word. And we cannot be filled with wrath, bitterness, evil speaking, clamor, malice, violence. Step off that path. Come apart and devote yourself to God. I wish I had more time to flesh this out. But listen, one closing point for you. And here comes like the real important point. I showed you three things there that contributed to the madness of all this. And you know that as Christians, we have to guard ourselves against all those things ourselves. But now let me close you with this. Ready? God saves people who are wrapped up in all that stuff. God reaches into those mad crowds and he snatches for himself anyone who will humble themselves, repent, and believe his gospel. God is still in the business today of saving souls out of the madness, the riots, the burning of the buildings. I know you saw the story this week where someone lit the Christmas tree on fire in New York. And, and listen, that's madness. But then the laws say you can't even put them in jail. It's, it's, it's systemic madness. Listen, people are not our enemies. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. God saves people out of that. Our job is to pray for people. Our job is to preach the gospel to people. Our job is to keep ourselves clean and ourselves pure and ourselves from not walking on that path. And then in mercy and in grace and in courageous love, reaching out with the gospel to rescue others. Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus the Messiah gave his life for our sins and rose from the dead and made the path to be reconciled to God for anyone who will humble themselves, repent and believe his good news. He died on the cross and rose from the dead. Believe it, embrace it, stay with it, walk in it, share it with others. Let him who has ears to hear, hear. Our Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had in your word here today. We know we live in a mad world, and it's always been. It's not different. It's not new. Help us to not descend into its ways, but to walk in your way. Help us to not descend into all of the things that characterize the world and lead them to the madness that we read about today. Help us to not walk in those ways, to not enter that path. And help us in graciousness, thanksgiving. Help us to not judge people. Help us, Lord God, to do what you do, to reach into the madness and rescue from the flames those who, Lord God, might believe the gospel and be saved. Help every believer to read and study and love your word and become equipped to share it with others and be able to invite others to the same gospel that you reached us with. Give us the right perspective on living now as one who's been reconciled to you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.